Brethren, are we open and how open are we to learning new information? How conditioned might we have become to avoiding or even hating opinions that differ from our own? How open are we to feedback and possibly even correction or criticism? How at risk are we of surrounding ourselves with opinions that only reinforce our own opinions? And brethren, ultimately, how thankful are we for God's warnings in the Bible and and how often do we use them? Hopefully these questions get you thinking at least to begin with. Brethren, my purpose today is to reflect on the societal trend that we see around us to avoid opinions and ideas that differ from our own. I want to take a little bit of time also in the sermon to examine the need to be sure that we're teachable and that we're continuing to learn and to grow, especially in relation to God's truth. If you're looking for a title for today's sermon, I've entitled it Ears to Hear. Ears to Hear. A few weeks ago, Mr. Weston gave a sermon entitled The Serpent's Infomercial, in which he really was, as he mentioned in his sermon, restating uh, an agenda, a perspective that Dr. Meredith put forth for the last couple years of his life, talking about Satan's alternate universe talking about how Satan influences us in society today. And in Mr. Weston's sermon, he actually cited or quoted and referred to some information that he drew out of the book After the Ball, a book that was written, if I remember correctly, by a psychologist and also by a a marketer on putting forth an agenda for the homosexual movement, written back in the 1980s. In the sermon, he talked about a couple of concepts that I want to open with today as well, uh, as he took these out of the book after the ball. One of the concepts that they put forth in the book is that uh, society today, in in, in terms of marketing, uh, marketing evil, society works on conversion of our emotion, our mind, and our will. And this really is a way that Satan works on us when we think about it. That's the point that Mr. Weston was making in his sermon. Satan works on working to convert our emotion. He gets our attention through our emotion. He he triggers a response through our emotion. And then he works on converting our mind and ultimately our will. Mr. Weston also mentioned the concept of jamming which came out of that book, and which we really see around us in society a lot today. Jamming, the act by which we ignore or disregard information that we do not like or we do not want. Again, this is a concept that Satan really is pushing. Ignoring information that we don't like or that we don't want. If you turn with me in the scripture to 2 Timothy 4, we'll start there this afternoon. as we talk about some concepts that we see permeating society today and that we as Christians in the world today have to try and resist. 2 Timothy 4. And as we think about this passage, brethren, remember that Paul is really giving a prophecy here. He's talking about the end of the age, things that will come to pass in God's church over time. 2 Timothy 4, and we'll read verses 3 and 4 here. It says, for the time will come. So he's prophesying about the future here. When they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to what? According to their desires. Desires and emotions are connected. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, the context of what Paul is talking about here is the church of God. And he's talking about primarily the truth and how at the end of the age, God's people will have a tendency, because they have itching ears, because of their own desires, they will have a tendency to heap up teachers to tell them what they want to be told, not to tell them the truth. 
And this is true. This is coming to pass in front of our very eyes. I remember reading in a non-Church of God or extra-Church of God publication a number of years ago that some 500 groups have come out of the Worldwide Church of God. Some 500 groups have come out. And why are there 500 groups and not just one? It's because there's so many opinions. It's because there's so many perspectives. Paul's comments here were right on target as they relate to the truth, something we have to be aware of and be careful of. But his, his comments were also right on target in regard to society in general. Society is like that too, isn't it? Because society has itching ears. Society will heap up teachers telling them what they want to hear. Think about it. As you look around at society today, how do you think society has heaped up teachers so that it will hear only what it wants to? What kind of trends have you noticed in society? What kind of tools do you think Satan is using to facilitate this heaping up teachers so people only need to hear what they want to hear. <clears throat> you know, we see a lot about this hate speech movement today. A movement that really, when we think about it from a Christian perspective, is preventing talking about sin. It's preventing talking about what's truly right and wrong, isn't it? Preventing talking about sin. It's interesting. Paul made the observation in one of his epistles. He said, it's, if it weren't for the law, I would not know sin. And so we see in society a world around us that doesn't want God's law talked about. In fact, in, in many cases, society labels God's law hate, so it can't be talked about. And what's the result? You remove the definition of sin. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. We also see a society that has developed a what many refer to, what sociologists are beginning to refer to as the conceal culture. Excuse me, the cancel culture. Cancel culture. You may have heard about that. Cancel culture is when um, an individual is called out for some kind of infraction by society or even their profession. People don't like what you've said, so they call you out on it, they put you down for it, and they get rid of you. They sort of cancel you from existence. And we see this. We see faculty members at universities being canceled. We see university uh, presidents being canceled. We see people at their workplace being canceled for what they have to say in this cancel culture. I'm going to read to you from an article. Uh, this is a July 6, 2019 article from Psychology Today entitled The Closed Mind. I'm not going to read a lot, but I'd like you to listen to this and think about how you can relate and how you have seen this process happen in front of you and in the world around you. Psychology Today article reads, There are many who operate out of a closed mind as a coping mechanism for a deep-seated fear that they cannot even access because to explore their own minds might be too frightening. The open-minded person is willing to explore his own mind and even find that he's been wrong about something and self-correct. Proverbs would talk about that being a wise person who's willing to do that, to look inside oneself, to see what we've done wrong, to self-correct. We call it, the Bible calls it self-examination. Let me continue. The closed-minded person is unwilling to do this. Being wrong is simply not safe. Being right at all times about all matters is the way to feel safe. Even if one must resort to illusion or delusion, in order to hold on to one's belief that one is right and thereby safe, the closed-minded person may do so. For this reason, trying to talk to a closed-minded person or trying to talk them out of a closed-minded way is not likely to succeed. Arguing, trying to prove your points, these are methods that will likely fail. Uh, doesn't tell us anything we don't know, but it reiterates something we do know, that open-minded people are willing 
to self-judge, to look at oneself, to take in other ideas and say, okay, is this right or wrong? A closed-minded person just says, no, don't try and confuse me with the facts. I think what I think, and I don't want to change the way I think. Let me quote from my <clears throat> from Farnham Street blog on an article entitled, The Difference Between Open-Minded and Closed-Minded People. It says, closed-minded people don't want their ideas challenged. They are typically frustrated that they can't get the other person to agree with them instead of curious as to why the other person disagrees or disapproves. And aside from one other website article, this is lifesitenews.com, May 16, 2019. Uh, the article is entitled, Social Media Will Be the Next Big Battleground for Free Speech. And it's talking about the same kinds of ideas here. Let's, and I'd like you to think about it with me as I read. It says, what we are seeing is more than just an assault on free speech. It's the laying down of the groundwork needed for changing the consciousness of America by brainwashing its youth. It's a powerful concept. Social media and free speech and what's going on is laying the groundwork for changing the consciousness of America, and I would add the world, because it's way beyond America, by brainwashing its youth. Case in point, according to a September 2017 Forbes article, a Brookings Institution poll found that 40% of college students don't believe that the First Amendment protects hate speech. That's the American First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. It's the Freedom of Speech Amendment, the one that does allow for freedom of speech, for you to say what you want to say against religion and even against the government and not be thrown into prison for it. Forty percent of college students, and this was going on three years ago, didn't believe that the First Amendment protects hate speech. 50% said that the proper way to deal with upsetting speech is to shut it down. College students who should be relatively educated, half of them believed in 2017 that the best way to deal with speech you don't agree with is to shut it down. If I don't like what you're saying, we shut you up. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous perspective. 19% said that physical violence is an acceptable way of shutting down speech that you don't agree with. Brethren, this is where we're headed in society. And we're now almost three years beyond this study. I've seen some recent numbers that are even a little bit higher. Let me continue with one more paragraph from this article. Social media are slowly and methodically chiseling away at what they see as offensive conservative views by outlawing conservative expression in a hypocritical call for decency. Basically, you can't say things that offend me, but I'm free to say whatever I like, even if it offends you. And that's really what we see today, especially as it relates to conservative biblical values. The First Amendment does not have to be abolished in order for all Americans to lose the remaining Bill of Rights. All it takes is the inability of a society to communicate openly with one another. Social media can either help this nation counter the lopsided propaganda of the mainstream media or help turn the American people into, notice this, a suppressed collection of like-minded robots. Powerful observations, but we see ourselves headed in this direction. A number of years ago, Mr. Wallace Smith <clears throat> did a, a telecast. I was thinking about this this morning, and I didn't have time to look it up, so I don't remember the name of the telecast. He'll correct me or inform me after we're done. But in the telecast, he was talking about these kinds of concepts, and he referred to a movie that came out back in the 90s called The Matrix, with Keanu Reeves. And the movie was all about a society sort of being overrun by a computer program. And people in the society were living out the computer program without really thinking. They became robots, if you will, just going through the motions of daily life and doing what they were programmed to do. There were a few that were able to break free of that 
that matrix. But when we look at society today, this is what we see. We see a lot of robots out there acting as society, and Satan would have them act, heaping up teachers that tell them what to do and reinforce their own opinions, no matter how narrow, and they go through the motions. This is something that we have to be on guard about. Think about it, brethren. Think about how people react on social media when opposing views are shared. Think about how they react when opposing views are shared. You see thumbs down. You see people disliking. You see people, um, the, the word escapes me now, but dropping people from their friends list or blocking them. Or you see people coming up and saying, I'm sorry I offended you. Like it's offend, you're offended if you share an alternate viewpoint. You also see people in social media saying, please only post your responses if they're positive. Basically heaping up teachers saying, I don't want to hear an alternate opinion. Just tell me what I want to hear. Social media does have its benefits, so I don't want to slam social media. It's a neat tool for keeping in touch with people. But brethren, I hope you are able to see and you're seeing how powerful social media can be used to reinforce one's opinions and to keep broader perspectives from coming in. Social media conditions us in many cases to maintain a closed-minded and unteachable perspective in many aspects of our lives. Let's look into this a little bit more. And we need to go to the Scripture to do this. What I'd like to do for the the next part of the sermon is contrast the actions of fools and the unwise with those who have godly wisdom. And we're going to pick Scriptures and mostly Proverbs that relate to these two perspectives. Unwise, foolish perspectives versus wise, godly, righteous perspectives. And think about how these perspectives relate to this idea of heaping up teachers because we have itching ears versus something we'll talk about a little bit later, having the ears to hear, having the ears to hear godly perspectives and godly wisdom. So let's talk about um, the foolish and unwise perspective first as we go to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah and Jeremiah wrote to ancient Israel as the nation of Israel was decaying. They were falling away from God and they were moving toward captivity. And so these prophets were writing and warning ancient Israel, change, (laughs) don't go in this direction. They were prophesying about a direction Israel would go into. But the prophecies were not just for ancient Israel. They were for modern Israel today as well. And they were prophecies about the end of the age and what society would look like at the end of the age. Isaiah chapter 5. And let's start, or let's read verse 20 here. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. But God warns here through these prophets about a time that would be coming where people were actually juxtaposing, flipping good for evil and evil for good. Whatever was good, they were calling evil. And don't we see that a tremendous amount today? We see people in society today calling good, godly things evil, bigoted. And we see things that are wicked, evil, being called good and open-minded and loving. And God says, whoa, be careful, don't fall into this trap. I was talking to a good friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and he was sharing a a, uh, social media discussion situation he had been in just in the last couple of weeks. And he was having, or he was reading this conversation that was happening between some people that he knew, and they were discussing a moral issue. And they were actually talking about uh, something that was immoral and saying that it was right. And this friend of mine sort of chimed in on the discussion 
And he, he made a, a religious, biblical observation. He didn't do it in a mean way. He didn't do it in a mean-spirited way. But what he did is he, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote from him, he said, if you all agree with this, you need to read your Bible. And that's what he said. That's it. If you agree with this, you need to read your Bible. And then he submitted it. And the social media platform wouldn't take the comment. And he tried it again, and the social media platform wouldn't take the comment. And so he exited out of the social media platform, logged back in, and he had no longer had access to the conversation. He was blocked for a simple comment that disagreed with the crowd. And the comment was, if you agree with this, you need to read your Bible. Just a very personal, physical, real, temporal example of where we're headed in society today. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Proverbs chapter 12. Let's look at some more examples here. Proverbs 12. And we'll read verse 5 together. Again, looking at unwise ways of dealing with issues. Proverbs 12, verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but look at this now, the second part. The counsels of the wicked, or some uh, translations say the counselors of the wicked, are deceitful. The counselors of the wicked, the counsels of the wicked, the counsel that the wicked receive are deceitful. They will deceive us into thinking in the wrong way. Again, a warning there. Proverbs chapter 5. If you go back a few more chapters. Proverbs 5 and verse 12. This is the writer of Proverbs writing Proverbs for his son later in life. And warning him, warning him not to fall into this trap. Proverbs 5.12. He doesn't want him to say, How I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. How I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. The writer of the proverb was saying, I don't want you to fall into this trap where you're old and at the end of your life looking back and you've said this, how I have hated instruction and despised correction. In fact, the wise person wants to do the opposite, right? To love instruction and even to want correction if it corrects us in the right way. It's it's the fool. It's the wicked person who despises instruction and correction. Proverbs chapter 10. Let's look at it. A couple of more Proverbs here. Proverbs 10 and verse 17. Proverbs 10, 17, it says, He who keeps instruction is in the way of life. But look at the second part here. He who refuses correction goes astray. The person who refuses correction, the person who won't be corrected, won't be given feedback and direction, will go in the wrong direction sooner or later. And we see a society around us that's headed, seems like faster and faster over the cliff because nobody wants to seek correction. In fact, people despise correction today. They only want positive, encouraging feedback I'm personally going back through in my personal Bible study, reviewing the books of the kings. And I was reviewing a situation with one of the kings the other day. It was King Ahab, wicked king in Israel. And he called in prophets that would only tell him what he wanted to hear. And he was forced by Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, to call in Um, I think it was Micaiah, a a godly prophet. And and Ahab said, I don't like this guy because he he only tells me bad things. And, of course, Micaiah came in and he told him, you know what, you're going to go into battle and you're going to lose and you're going to die. And and Ahab said, see, I told you he'd only tell me bad news. So he called in the other prophets and all the other prophets said, no, you're going to win and you're going to be blessed. 
And Ahab was happy with that. And he went out and he went to battle, and guess what? He died. He didn't want to hear and heed the godly instruction. Proverbs 10. Did I read that already? In verse 17, yeah, he who refuses correction goes astray. Proverbs 15, turn over a few more pages, and verse 5. Proverbs 15, verse 5. It says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. It's, it's the foolish person that hears the instruction of their parents who are older and wiser, and actually heeds it and listens to it and recognizes these people have a perspective I haven't developed yet. But we don't see that perspective in society today. Let's go to Jeremiah. <clears throat> we, we read from Isaiah a few minutes ago. We'll actually come back to Isaiah. Let's go to Jeremiah 7. Again, it was a prophecy for a declining Israel, but it's a dual prophecy that refers to the time of the end as well. Jeremiah 7, and verse 28. <clears throat> Jeremiah is being told here, Jeremiah 7, 28, So you shall say to them, say to Israel, This is a nation that God, excuse me, that does not obey the voice of the eternal their God, nor receive correction. And as we look around in society, we see that so much more of the Israelite-descended nations today. We are societies that don't obey God's voice. We don't receive His correction. Let's continue. It says, Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Cut off your hair and cast it away and take up a lamentation in the desolate heights. Truth has perished from their mouth. We see that again in society today. Isaiah 59. Turn back several pages here to Isaiah 59. <clears throat> Another prophecy for ancient Israel, but for today as well. Isaiah 59 and verse 13. We see the same concept, the same idea of truth perishing. Isaiah 59 verse 13. In transgressing and lying against the eternal and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, talking about this society, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. People mean this. They mean words of falsehood. It's not accidental. It's coming from the heart. Verse 14, notice, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street. And equity cannot enter, so truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. If you depart from evil, if you depart from doing wrong, you make yourself a target. And how true is that today? And this idea that he puts forth in verse 14, truth is fallen in the street. What idea comes to your mind? What, what word picture? What picture comes to your mind? Thinking about truth falling in the street. This is an idea of death. People fall in the streets when they're killed. They're in a war, they're in a battle, and they're shot down, and they fall in the streets. And here we see Isaiah prophesying about truth basically dying in the streets. Brethren, we've got to work hard to avoid Satan's trap of conforming, as I read from the article earlier, as a collection of like-minded robots. It's getting harder, isn't it? to hold fast to truth, to stand up for what's right in a world that wants to put truth to death and where we're made prey sometimes. We're made a target if we hold on to truth. So we've talked a little bit here about the angle, the approach of the unwise and the fools as it relates to the topic today. Let's talk about the approach of the godly and reinforce what I think we already know. Let's talk about the 
perspective of godly and the godly wisdom. Something that takes determination and effort. Proverbs 19. Let's go back to the book of Proverbs. And I guess I would ask you, what is God's wisdom on knowledge and understanding and information? What is the wise perspective to have? What is the biblical perspective to have with knowledge and information and truth? Let's reinforce what you know. Proverbs 19, verse 20. Proverbs 19, 20, it says, Listen to counsel and receive, take in instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Listen to counsel, receive instruction, take it, hear it, look for it. Let's go to Proverbs 1. All the way back to Proverbs 1. And we'll read verse 5, Proverbs 1, verse 5. A wise man or wise woman will hear an increase in learning. A person of understanding will attain wise counsel. They'll attain it. They'll seek it. They'll go after it. Wise counsel. We'll come back to that concept a little later in the sermon. How about Psalm 1? Psalm 1. This is a psalm that we frequently sing here at services. Blessed and happy is the man. But let's let's look at verse 1 here. Psalm 1, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who what? You could say woman. What blessed is the person who what? What do they do? Why are they blessed? They walk not in the counsel of the, the ungodly or the wicked. They don't seek counsel from the ungodly. They don't seek counsel from the wicked. They don't stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. It says, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. The wise person avoids the wicked in their counsel. Let's go to to, uh, Proverbs 3. Proverbs chapter 3. You have to sit still, but we're going to give your fingers a little bit of exercise here, going back and forth. At least we can exercise part of your body while we sit. Proverbs 3 and verse 11. And again, think about this in light of the society that we live in. Proverbs 3.11, My son, you could say my daughter, do not despise the chastening of the eternal nor detest his correction. For whom the eternal loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Don't despise God's correction. Appreciate it. Knowing that God is a loving father and loving parents do correct. Remember years ago, I was at a professional meeting. This is before I came to work for the church. And they actually had a panel discussion and they had uh, some young ladies and some young guys who were uh, in a youth detention center. This was in the state of Wyoming. And at that time in the state, uh, you couldn't be put in a, an adult prison until you reached 17 or 18. And so essentially these young people were in prison, but they weren't put in the adult prisons. And they had a program that they were using to rehabilitate these kids, to improve their situation, and to to prepare them to go out into the world and be successful. And it was actually a pretty neat program. But they were asking these teenagers lessons that they had learned. And after the presentation, I went up and I talked to one of these teenagers who had, her family had actually put her in this facility because there's nothing they could do with her. She was incredibly rebellious, doing all kinds of uh, undermining of, of her parents and getting into trouble and being caught by the police, etc. At this point, she had changed. She had changed her perspective. And I, I went up to her, and she was 16, I think. And I just said, I, I have a question for you. What could your parents have done differently to maybe have helped you earlier on in your life? Is there anything they could have done? And she looked at me, and she said, I wish they would have set down rules and stuck to them. I wish they would have disciplined me. 
I looked at her and I said, wouldn't you have rebelled against that? And she said, I might have, but not in the way I did. I was rebelling because nobody cared about me. And it reminds, this, this verse reminds me of that. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction for whom the eternal loves he corrects just as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Parents who care, correct. A God who loves, corrects because he doesn't want us to go in the wrong direction. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 5. This is just sort of a tempering verse here. As we think about Having ears to hear, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we need to be teachable. We need to be willing to be corrected. We need to be open to perspectives that are not our own. But we also need to temper that and not be completely open. You might remember in Acts 17, uh, Paul was dealing with the people in Athens. And these were really, it says, fair-minded in the New King James. These were incredibly open-minded people. And my dad used to talk about how uh, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out. And I think there's something to that. You don't, you're not so open-minded that you're willing to listen to anything like the Athenians were. Paul came into Athens preaching and they thought, wow, we've never heard anything like this. It's new. Let's go hear what's new. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 helps us temper that concept. We do need to be open to different perspectives. We do need to make sure we're not stuck in our own ways of thinking and heaping up teachers that tell us just what we want to hear. But what does 1 Thessalonians 5.21 say? Most of you know this scripture by heart. It says, test or prove all things and hold fast to that which is good, as well as abstaining from every form of evil. With the truth especially, we have to prove it. Prove it. Is it right? Prove it from all different directions. Make sure you know that it's the truth. And once you prove that it's the truth, you hold fast to that. You don't let it go. You don't need to reevaluate the truth at every opportunity. If it's proven to be right, my unconverted father-in-law gave my wife and I this advice years ago when the church that we grew up in and were attending was changing its doctrines. And he looked at us both and he said, if it was right for 30 years, it's still right today. He was unconverted and he saw the wisdom. Prove it. And if it's right, you hold fast to it. You don't let it go. At the same time, we do need to be willing to learn and to grow. Peter talks about that too, doesn't he? Grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow. Don't cease from growing. Grow. Let's go to Revelation 2. One more wise perspective here on knowledge and understanding and information. Revelation 2. I'm going to read... Just one portion here. Revelation 2 and 3 is God's warning to the seven churches that you are aware of. To six of these churches, he ends his warning piece with a special piece of information. And we'll read uh, about the church at Smyrna here. If you look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 11, we see this mentioned now once here, but five more times in the remainder of the chapter and in all of chapter 3. Chapter 2, Revelation 2, verse 11, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he says that five more times in about a chapter and a half. If God says something six times in two chapters, it must be important. He who has an ear, let him hear. That's... Hence the title of the sermon, Ears to Hear. We've got to have ears to hear, brethren. I know you want to have ears to hear, and you're trying to do that. And so if you'll take this sermon as just an encouragement to keep going in your direction that you're headed in. In the remainder of the sermon, what I'd like to do is to give you three actions that you can take to develop ears that are even more willing to hear. 
to try and defend against what we're seeing in society all around us, Satan's attempts to get us to block ideas and concepts that we don't like. There are some actions we can take. I'm only going to give you three. You can probably add. And if you're looking to do some more Bible study on your own, see if you can come up with some more points for the sermon today. Other actions that you could take to make sure that we have ears to hear the wisdom that is out there, the wisdom of God, the wisdom that is from above. Okay, what are three actions that we can take? Action number one is to search the Scriptures daily. Search the Scriptures daily. I'm taking that directly from Acts 17. If you turn with me to Acts 17, we'll read about the actions that the Bereans took. You might recall the Bereans making this observation. Acts 17. And verse 10. Acts 17, verse 10, I believe Paul was in Thessalonica at this point. It says in verse 10, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, where they arrived. They went into the synagogue of the Jews. Verse 11, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. So they heard it. They were willing to hear it. The Thessalonians were, were closed-minded. They, no, I don't want to hear that. That has to do with this Jesus guy? We don't, want to, we don't want to hear about that. The Bereans were willing to say, okay, tell us. Help us understand. But they didn't stop there. They didn't just open their minds and say, okay, we believe, did they? What did they do? Let's continue here. They searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They didn't just take it on the value of words. They went to the book. They looked in the Word of God. They looked in the Scriptures to see if what Paul and Silas were teaching was biblical and it was right and it was true. How do we defend against Satan's attacks to try and narrow our perspectives and close our minds? Searching the Scriptures daily Reading the Scriptures daily is a powerful tool to do that. Brethren, think about it. What happens to you? What happens to your perspective when you read God's Bible, when you read the Word of God daily? And not just a few verses, but you study God's Word on a daily basis. When we do that, our minds become saturated with the truth. They become saturated with the truth, with the godly way of thinking, with God's perspective. It becomes part of the way our brain works naturally. And then when we're faced with error, we're faced with lies that we heard about in the sermonette today, our mind will come back to the truth that we've been saturating it with. And we'll have a counter to what we've heard. Years ago in a former, former association. I spent a lot of time the last, especially two years, studying the Word of God. In fact, I did that more than I did just about anything else. I spent hours and hours every week studying the Word of God. And I would go to church services and I would hear a message and I would hear a comment that was made that was wrong. And I would have a flood of scriptures come into my mind that contradicted what that false minister was teaching. It was amazing, and it was, frankly, it was wonderful. It was really reassuring. Because it wasn't just a feeling of, I think that person's wrong and I don't like what they're saying. It was the Word of God coming to mind, and I had the, the rebuttal for the, for the lies and the false truths and the half-truths that were being told. And I know I would not have had those things coming to my mind if I hadn't been searching the Scriptures daily, studying the Word of God. Brethren, when we study the Word of God every day, we saturate our minds with it. God's Word and His principles and His truths are on the tip of our tongue, so to speak. They're in the front of our mind. And when we're faced with falsehoods, we've got a defense for those falsehoods, and we're less likely to be duped and to fall for those lies. Satan gives us a constant barrage of lying propaganda 
in the world around us. It's designed to sway us, and it will sway us if we don't constantly work to counter it by constantly studying the Word of God. So I encourage you to do that. Keep up the good work of constantly studying the Bible. Make time, brethren, every day, not just to read a few verses, but to study the Word of God. If you're doing that already, keep up the good work. Defend that study time. If you're not studying as much as you'd like, sit down with your schedule. Figure out how you can carve out, make more time to study the Word of God, to start your day every day reading God's Word, and to go to bed every night reading God's Word. Mr. Hernandez gave a sermon years ago entitled, Keep Your Lamp Burning in which he talked about the importance of studying the Word of God in the morning and in the evening, starting the day with God and ending the day with God in that way. So, searching the Scriptures daily is one powerful tool to use. To defend against Satan's attacks to try and close our minds, to help make sure that we're still teachable, we're learning, we're willing to grow. What is another action we can take? Another action we can take is to consciously work to become more teachable. Consciously work to become more teachable. In this world where people don't want to be taught anymore, we need to work to become even more teachable. Matthew chapter 18. We can pull many truths and many lessons out of Matthew 18. I want to pull this specific lesson out of it. Matthew chapter 18. You remember the situation. We read this and recently read this at the Feast of Tabernacles uh, on the day of the blessing of little children. Verse 2. Matthew 18, verse 2. Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted... And become as little children, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives this little child like this in my name receives me. But Christ said, whoever humbles themselves as a little child is greatest. You know, when we look at little children, and I would encourage you to watch some of them today. Some of you are blessed to have little children of your own or little grandchildren or little nieces and nephews. Little children I'm talking about, age two, three, four, five. There's a level of malleability and teachability in a child that young. It's a very special thing. You can ask a child, you can even ask a child to go put something in a trash can. And what do they do? They'll grab the piece of trash And they'll toddle over to the trash can and put it in the trash can and look back at you for some kind of accolade. They're excited to do what they've been asked to do. If you tell a four- or five-year-old, six-year-old something, they believe you. They look at you like God. I remember (laughs) telling my dad something when I was about that age that I heard my teacher say. And I thought my teacher knew everything. And so I came home and told my father, this is what my teacher said. Isn't this amazing? And he burst my bubble. He said, well, not everything your teacher says is right. And I, I don't remember even what it was about. It must have been about something to do with the Bible. And he corrected me and gave me a different perspective. But as a five or six year old, I was like a sponge. I was wanting to learn and willing to learn. And I knew that my teacher was right. There's something to be gleaned. For us, from a scripture like this, become as little children. Little children are teachable. No, we don't want to be so teachable that we're gullible. But we want to keep learning and growing. In the truth, yes. And even in areas outside the truth. How open are we to perspectives that differ from our own? In other, in other topic areas. Are we open-minded? Are we willing to to look at other sides of arguments? Are we pleased just to listen to one side and then build up documentation to support our one perspective? It's 
It's important to think about James chapter 3 as we think about becoming even more teachable. James chapter 3. James 3 verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above, godly wisdom, is first pure, then peaceable, and, and these are actually characteristics, brethren, we can use to judge information that comes in. If it's right, if it's true, if it's godly, it should have some of these characteristics. It's pure, it's peaceable, or it brings peace, you could say. It's gentle. It's willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I want to dig down in on here a little bit more. I'm reading from the New King James. It talks about how godly wisdom and those who are about godly wisdom are willing to yield. That's the New King James. The King James Version, we sometimes call it the Old King James, says that these individuals are easily entreated. It means they're easy to teach. They're willing to hear, willing to try to understand. I think that's one of the things I've noticed in society around us today is as time goes forward, more and more people are not willing to hear. If it differs from their opinions and their perspectives, don't tell me, don't talk to me about it. I'm pleased with what I know. I'll give you an example Uh, One of the secretaries I used to work with years ago, not in the church. Um, We had worked together for almost seven years at this point. And so she knew me well. And she knew that my beliefs differed from her beliefs and in many others. She was a good Lutheran. Um, But she also knew that my beliefs were founded on the Word of God. And that I I tried not to believe things that were not in the Bible. And so... At this point, she was in a a low point, a difficult point in her life. Her husband was dying of cancer, or had just died, I think, at this point. And she asked me one day, she said, Scott, what do you think about death? What happens at death? And, of course, my response was, it doesn't matter what I think. What the Bible says is that when you die, you're dead. You know nothing. You're in the grave. But there's coming a resurrection, and your your husband will be resurrected to life again one day. And she looked at me and she said, hmm, that's interesting. I'm just happy thinking that he's up in heaven looking down on me. Which, she's not being called. That's okay. She can't understand certain things until God opens her mind. But that perspective of not being easily entreated, knowing that what I had to say was probably what was in the Bible, her attitude was, don't confuse me with the facts. I'm happy in in my way I'm used to believing. And how frequently, again, do we see that in society around us today? People are happy in their ignorance and they don't want to be confused with the facts. Certainly something we want to defend against and why we need to work to become even more teachable, to not develop that perspective that Satan wants us to develop, to close our minds off to learning and growing. Okay, action number one for... Developing ears to hear better is to search the scriptures daily. Action number two is to become more, even more teachable. Action number three, what else can we do, brethren, to make sure that we have ears that are even more willing to hear? And young people, be listening to this too because these principles are powerful and they impact you as well. You are growing up in a society today that is trying to close you off to learning. And people will sort of pat themselves on the back where they have this circle of friends that are sharing ideas. They're all the same idea. People will think, oh, I've sought lots of counsel, yet it's seeking counsel from people who think like you. It's circular. It's just reinforcing the way you think. It's not challenging you to think and to consider and to grow. Point number three, action number three, is to seek counsel from wise and deeply converted people. Seek counsel from wise and deeply converted people. We don't want to heap up teachers, obviously, that tell us what we want to hear. 
Let's go to Ecclesiastes 7. Ecclesiastes 7. You know that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by whom? Solomon, King Solomon. And it was understood that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes probably near the end of his life, most scholars believe. And it really takes that perspective. You read it and you see him looking back on life. He shares that perspective and he's sharing lessons that he's learned through his life based on actions he's taken and even mistakes that he's made. And he makes some of those mistakes clear in the book. But let's read Ecclesiastes 7, verse 5. He says, It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. What does it mean to hear a song of fools? Sometimes... We have a phrase in many Western cultures that uh, when we hear something, it's music to our ears, right? When we hear something that we want to hear that reinforces our perspective, oftentimes it's music to our ears. Ha! I'm right. And Solomon sort of approaches that, doesn't he? It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise, the correction of the wise, than for a man to hear the songs of fools. Why? Why is it better to hear the rebuke of the wise? Because if we hear the rebuke and their correction and we make adjustments in our life and we change and we grow, the course of our life is going to be more straight. It's going to be much more on a godly path so God can bless us and we avoid the pitfalls of sin. We have to try and avoid the second part here, the song of the fools. It might feel good to have our perspectives reinforced. But if it's not a godly perspective, we don't want that reinforced because it's going to push us to continue in the wrong direction, as I think all of us know and understand. I was reading in the book of 2 Samuel, excuse me, 2 Kings this week, and was reading about wise King Solomon's foolish son. Remember the the son of Solomon, what his name was, who took over for him as king? It was Rehoboam. And if you recall what happened with Rehoboam, Rehoboam came to the throne as a relatively young man. His father Solomon had died. Solomon brought riches and esteem to Israel that it had never had before and it never had to the level that he brought it. But Solomon enslaved a good bit of the nation as its king. He levied heavy, heavy taxes on the people. And and they were reeling from this. And so when Rehoboam became king, he did the right thing to begin with. He went to the wise men, the old people, the people who had perspective, and he said to them, or, or, or he basically asked for wisdom, and they said, don't do what your father has done. Your father has put a heavy burden on the people. Lighten their burden." Help them, serve them, and they will follow you forever. That was the advice of the wise. Of course, Solomon, what else did he do? Or excuse me, Rehoboam. What else did Rehoboam do? The advice of the wise was not good enough. So he went to the young men. Not that young men are not wise. Young men can have wisdom. But they don't have the perspective that Older people who've lived longer have. But he went to these young men and he said, what should I do? And they said, you know what? Your dad put a little weight on them. You need to put a crushing weight on these people. Let them know who's king. Don't give in. Be strong. Who did Rehoboam listen to? The wise old men or the foolish young men? He listened to the fools. And what happened? Exactly what the older ones predicted Israel went to their tents. The northern ten tribes left the kingdom. They rejected Rehoboam as the king. Rehoboam was left with his own tribe, Judah, and the little tribe of Benjamin. And he lost the kingdom. His actions divided the kingdom because he chose to ignore the wisdom of the wise and experienced ones. 
this third action is to seek counsel from wise and deeply converted people. Hopefully that includes the ministry as well. I remember a situation in a church congregation years ago where a a church member came and they informed me of a decision they had made. It It was a serious situation that I was not aware of. Um, but they came up and they informed me of a decision they had made. And they told me that they had seek, sought counsel from multiple people on this situation. And, and here's the decision they were making. And so I listened. And the decision wasn't the wisest decision. And I was left thinking, so you sought counsel. But as far as I know, I'm the only minister in this congregation. And you missed me. Maybe they didn't see me as wise. Um, Not that Scott Winnale was anything important, but it seems like if you're going to make a decision and want to think about the spiritual repercussions, it might be a good idea to talk to the ministry. And they totally missed me. And after I heard what their decision was, I figured out why they didn't ask me. Because I wouldn't have given that advice. Because there were spiritual problems with the decision. This person sort of heaped up teachers. They, they, they sought counsel. They deceived themselves into thinking they sought a multitude of counsel because they didn't necessarily go to the people who had the wisdom and understanding. There's a young person that comes to me from time to time for advice, and he'll sit down and he'll say, Dr. Scott, I'm coming to you because I know you'll have a different perspective. Not different from the Bible, but different from what maybe I've been thinking about. And I really respect that person. Because they're willing to seek counsel or seek a perspective that they've not considered and examine that perspective. Brethren, God wants us to seek counsel from wise individuals. Not heap up teachers because it's comfortable, but seek counsel from wise individuals and hopefully deeply converted people. There are a lot of those in our congregations wise and deeply converted people. I hope you know who they are. If you don't, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the other ministers in here. We could probably rattle off a long list of them. But you should have wise individuals, deeply converted individuals that you bounce your ideas off of from time to time. Even if they don't know a whole lot about a situation, you might come to me and ask me for advice on business And the church has taught me, don't give financial advice and don't give medical and health advice. So I'll probably avoid some of that, but I can share with you some spiritual perspectives on a decision, things you might want to consider. I might also point you to another minister who has business prowess and experience or another church member who has that kind of experience. Brethren, if we want to maintain and grow in having ears to hear, we need to make sure we're seeking wise and deeply converted, or wise advice from deeply converted people. Brethren, God has warned us that at the end of the age, the majority of society will be unresponsive to ideas that differ from their own, and that they would heap up teachers who will support only their ideas. We're living in that age today, aren't we? We see it all around us. We're living in a society today that even in God's church from time to time, we fall prey to that perspective. And I see it more and more. Even if I look on social media, I can see it. And I know you can as well. God clearly warns us, brethren, to remain teachable, to remain open-minded to true and right principles. He wants us to continue to grow and to overcome and to change. We are encouraged, brethren, to prove all things and hold fast to what is good. We're encouraged, though, not to prove our own point and hold fast to it. And I think I say that not as correction, but looking at Satan's perspective and what he's trying to get us to do. That's what he wants us to do, to prove our own point and then hold fast to it. Brethren, I encourage you to keep searching the scriptures daily. Number one, saturate your mind with God's truth so that you can use it to ward off Satan's lying attacks. Number two, work to become even more teachable. And as much as possible, surround yourself with wise and deeply converted teachers. Brethren, God gives us powerful direction in his word, the Bible. 
and powerful warnings to heed. There is much wisdom there. I encourage you, remain close to him. Be aware of Satan's tactics to deceive and create mindless, unthinking robots. Too much of society is falling into that trap today. I encourage you to cry out to God for his help to develop and maintain, brethren, ears to hear.